This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's crack a lagging, y'all? It's your host, Will, coming back for another Hunt Stand podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking to guest and Hunt Stand pro, Mark Kaiser. Now, if you've watched the Outdoor Channel and Versus Network back in the day, NBC Sports Network, and all the different shows that have been out there, you probably know Mark. I mean, heck, I grew up watching the guy. As a teenager, my summers and any open hours that I had between school and sports was consumed by watching anything hunting and fishing, and I watched Mark a lot. So it was really cool to get him on the podcast today and talk DIY elk. You know, it's a time of year that some of y'all may have tags already, or you and a couple of buddies are thinking about going out west for the first time, and I'm primarily talking to those first timers. There might be a couple of seasoned guys, or you know, you may have done this two, three, four years, and you might be able to pick up on something from Mark, but we're going to talk about the basic necessities that are needed if you're going to be doing DIY elk, over-the-counter tags, or if you've drawn and you're going on public land, or you might have... Um, you might have a private land tag or you might have a situation where you don't have an outfitter. So I get Mark on here to talk DIY elk, things that he's done, things that he's tried, things that he's seen, tested, all the above. But we're going to get Mark here to talk about that, go down a couple rabbit holes. And again, y'all, just want to thank y'all for tuning in to the Hunt Stand Podcast. You've got a lot of options out there. And so the fact that y'all are choosing this to listen to and listen to me ramble on over and over, just got to say thank you really appreciate the support that we've had from y'all so far since we've launched this in march and i got an announcement for y'all starting today and that's june 21st through june 30th we're actually going to be doing a quick little instagram giveaway we're going to be giving away a five-year hunt stand pro subscription to a lucky follower and the rules are simple you don't have to give us an email address 
You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to do all these different things. All you have to do is go follow us on Instagram. And if you want to, go subscribe to our YouTube channel if you'd like. And make sure that you've subscribed to this podcast. Rate, review. We appreciate the support, y'all. Go get yourself entered into that giveaway and go win you a five-year Hunt Stand Pro subscription. Go win it. Nonetheless, I'm going to quit rambling. We got Mr. Mark here, and we hope you enjoy. Mark, first off, just want to thank you and appreciate your time for hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast today. I appreciate being invited to be a guest. So, Absolutely, absolutely. Well, man, for the purpose of this episode, I want to focus on DIY elk hunting. And I, I want to frame it for the first time or somebody that's wanting to go out and do it. And so I want to pick your brain on some tips, tactics, and things that they should know and things they consider should consider when starting this out. But first of all, when I start out this podcast, I like to introduce, get you to introduce yourself to the listeners. And so I do that by you giving us a 30 foot tree stand view of who you are, man. So let us know who you are, where you're from and how you got into what you're doing now. I'm Mark Kaiser. I'm uh, originally a South Dakota slash Midwestern boy. And I grew up in the eastern part of the state, but my parents were explorers taking us camping and everything. And they always seemed to point their camper west. And eventually we bought, when I say we, my parents, bought some land in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And I thought I had died and gone to heaven. So in my youth, I grew up in the in the mountains, at least in the summertime and and part of the fall while uh, uh, during hunting seasons. And I just I just love the mountains. Mm -hmm. So. Ever since then, I've been trying to get to farther uh, compass points west. And I finally did it about, oh my gosh, I can't even do the math. More than a dozen years ago, I moved to Wyoming, and I live in north central Wyoming, right on the Montana border. I love Montana, so I jump borders all the time, legally, <laughs> and uh, go hunting up there too. Plus, I hunt other states across the west. So, And how did I get into the outdoors? Well. That's a weird question, I guess, or it was kind of just a series of, uh, of, uh, a series of good steps. You know, I, um, I grew up in a, a kind of a farming family. My dad sold implement tractors. So everything mm-hmm. was farming tractors, cornfields, all that. Uh, but then this Western bug got in me and then I wanted to be a game warden, like a lot of kids my age. And, uh, yep. and so I, uh, kind of looked at that and then I had this bug to be you know, an outdoor communicator. And I decided, well, I'll go to college for game warden, wildlife management, and journalism at the same time. And whichever one wins out in my interest, I'll follow that lead. And I, I, about halfway through, I went straight toward journalism. And instead of getting a magazine uh, road, taking the magazine, or excuse me, the newspaper uh, road, I, um, I actually got a job as a photographer and then started writing press releases and actually focused on outdoor tourism for the South Dakota Department of Tourism. Now, all this time, I was actually writing freelance articles, even in college, uh, to make a little extra money. Okay. And I just kept spinning that and making the contacts. And uh, about 14 years of government life working for the state of South Dakota, I decided I could probably do better on my own. And I, my wife was supportive. She said, if you know, she knew what I was making on the side on my weekends, and she said, heck yeah, uh, let's do it. So I uh, jumped ship and really went full force into the outdoor 
media arena and just keep riding little waves here and there. I'm not, you know, I'm not Lee and Tiffany of the crush, obviously, or, uh, or Michael Waddell, but, uh, as a writer, I've been able to go into TV and from TV into, you know, stuff like this podcast and social media and, and, uh, and it's all, it's all good. It's all fun. It's a lot of work. Oh yeah. I like D- DIY L cunning. It's, yeah. <laughs> it looks, it looks great when you're standing, uh, or sitting at home on a couch watching it on YouTube, but you know, the minute you go out there and do it, same thing with being an outdoor communicator, mm-hmm. a freelancer, your own contractor, your own boss, you know, it's all on you to get the job done, whether you have to uh, try to sell 25 articles and, you know, freelance some TV shows or find an elk in the middle of 1.1 million acres of public land, then kill it, then pack it out. So It's fun. It's fun. Well, I love it, man. Well, speaking of DIY elk hunting, you know, I it it's something that everybody wants to do if they haven't. They would love to do it, and those that do it already, like you and you and I, we love to do it. And so, I know you get asked all the time, "I want to elk hunt. Where do I start?" And so, I think that's a great way to pivot this conversation and kind of talk to that guy, that girl, you know. Where's a good starting point that you like to tell people when they're wanting to do DIY elk hunting? Well, I think there's some, there's a bunch of starting points, but let's just look at the basics in every state, except Colorado, for the most part, uh, tags, you have to draw a tag. So that's your, your starting point. You've got to, you've got to pinpoint a state and it's fairly easy to pinpoint states, uh, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, uh, and Idaho are probably some of the bigger population states, Colorado being the most for mm-hmm. elk, not, not for hunters, but Colorado has a lot of elk hunters too. Oh yeah. Uh, so you, so you want to look at a density where, where's the highest density of elk? Because that's where there's probably going to be the most tags issued. And that is basically true. And that'll give you your highest chance of drawing that tag. Then you need to study the preference point or the unit game, both of them, which tie together, mm-hmm. but which units are not only putting out a lot of tags, but are allowing you to get a preference point if you don't uh, draw a tag or a bonus point. However, you know, every state has, right. they define it, define it a little differently. And not only that, but is the, is the amount of tags in that unit, uh, say a unit in uh, Southwest Montana, for example, that divvies out 10,000 tags is their high success with those tags being sent out or are they, is the game and fish just making a lot of money and you're out there frustrated because there's no elk in the unit that are huntable elk. Probably there's a lot of elk there. Mm -hmm. It's just, are they huntable or not? And we can get into that later, but so that's where I'd I'd start. What, what state do I want to hunt? see if you can narrow it down to the unit. And there's a lot of that information on the internet. People are willing to share that. Let them, some of them let it slip in the forums. And if not, Hey, you just call a game, a game warden or a game biologist in those States. Say you're looking up in the Northwest corner of Colorado. Uh, and there's a lot of elk up there and those guys will tell you, you know, well, here's the deal. We got a lot of elk there in October, but come late October, they're migrating down and they end up on so-and-so's ranch and so forth and blah 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 yeah and then again you can start to kind of narrow everything down and 
by gosh, if you got a buddy, a friend or relatives that lives out West, you know, use them for uh, every ounce of information you can. I, I've got, I don't have many, but I got a couple close friends, believe it or not. And <laughs> I, you know, they always say work. I live in Wyoming. So they say where in Wyoming to hunt. And I always tell them, well, I know my home area good. And I know a few spots around the state, uh, but I'm not afraid to really share because I know that they're not going to draw that tag every year. Every year, they're not going to be in my honey hole. Yeah. In fact, probably going to be every seven, eight years now, the way Wyoming's drawing mm -hmm. and maybe even more. So, uh, but some states, although Montana just changed theirs up a little bit, I really... Um, it's, that's a head scratcher. I don't know what's going to happen there, but no. you know, some states used to be able to draw every other year, like Montana, Colorado still has over the counter, although there's a lot of stuff going on uh, there, whether or not that'll continue. Idaho has a first come first serve in many units. Uh, if you're in line first to apply, you can get that tag. Uh, New Mexico has landowner tags. If you've got deep pockets, you know, you can buy a landowner tag, and Arizona is is a, is a long waiting game, kind of like Utah too. Right. Although there are some options in Utah as well. But, um, okay. Okay. So that's that's a great place to start. And then next, you know, I we'll dive into the nuts and bolts of all the gear because I mean, there's a ton of different things that you need that you don't need. But what are in your mind? What are the essential items to have i mean aside from your weapon you know what are some areas in your gear arsenal that you really don't want to cheap out on well first and foremost <laughs> uh and, and we'll just go with the hunt stand here you definitely need a um a hunting app yes or or a gps as and it and this is a particularly true of people who are new to an area now, I, I, there's a lot of areas in Wyoming here I can walk into and out of in the dark with nothing more than a flashlight. I don't need a hunting app, but I live here. But at the same time, uh, if a fog rolls in, you know, which is common during hunting season, a heavy fog and you can't see very far, mm -hmm. you lose all your landmarks. So you need a navigation tool. And, and that works at home in the summertime when you're scouting from your uh, desktop, your laptop or your smartphone. And use that scout kind of just you know virtually fly over areas and it definitely works uh when you're in the back country so the next thing i'd say is is uh a backpack because so much of everything revolves around uh a backpack what's going into it so you need yeah. a good backpack that that's fairly lightweight uh rugged adaptable can can do different things somewhat waterproof you know water resistant although mm -hmm. most come with a rain fly but there's a lot of times you're just on the fly and don't want to you know if it's just drizzling out don't want to throw your rain fly right. on and, and then some and a way on that backpack to pack your bow rifle or whatever uh, hunting tool you're using so, uh, the one of the packs i'm using now is that alps ultralight elite and that's a real uh, adaptable changeable pack you can change out the pack portion you can expand uh, the inner parts if you're going to be packing meat quarters so it's a good all-around pack and that's what i'd look for something that you can pack meat pack your gear in and always be comfortable Got it. now the next thing i think people need to be worried about 
and not necessarily in this order, but our optics, you, you definitely have to have a binocular with you mm-hmm. and a rangefinder or a combo of both. Like uh, I use the Sig Sauer Kilo 3000, which is a 42 uh, millimeter, 10 power binocular has everything right there but you're going to be glassing a lot even in dark timber you're always looking ahead you're stopping looking ahead for legs back lines whatever you can't always rely on just your eyes to see what's what's up ahead of you say you drop off the top and you're into a north slope at two in the afternoon and you're looking for uh, bedded elk or you know restless elk that during the rut that might be up and moving in that timber yeah a good binocular your hunting tool, you know, that's, that's here nor there, or I just, I, there's so many options there. I don't know what people are going to be doing, but Thousands. you know, obviously a good hunting tool. Right. Uh, clothing. Don't, don't be a cheapskate on clothing because it's everything as far as, and this is the next thing I'm moving into, but it's, it can even come down to the basics of survival. You want, you need clothing that will, uh, protect you will work with you will not harm you so i always just tell people anything cotton for the most part no way don't do it anything yeah anything poly based or a lightweight like a merino wool a lot of people are moving towards that i don't like the old heavy stuff and yeah exactly uh, a lightweight wool uh some poly based type clothing that's what you want and your rain gear and your rain gear works for rain and heat trapping and that's really important for survival uh and then that's where i'd go next is definitely have a survival kit i uh i I can't stress that enough to people to have everything they need and and i take this real seriously because i'm in the backcountry almost exclusively solo so i i have to depend on me myself and i so i i really i really like to preach this but you need solid first aid you don't want to overweight yourself but en- enough to do the basics and uh and then you need a, i always carry either a lightweight survival tarp or now i just carry those lightweight survival bags mm-hmm. that you can crawl into that retain about 90 percent of your body heat and then fire starting and and have at least several different methods of fire starting and then a light source that kind of comes into play for everything right and then with your light source, just like your navigation tools, you need to back up all that power. So like your smartphone, I always carry an extra uh, battery and, and there's different ways to you know, power your smartphone. Some of them have it in ca- uh, extra protection case. There's a battery embedded in it. And, but your, your, uh, your, your headlamp, your flashlight, your smartphone, GPS, anything that's running on battery power, back that up. So if something happens, you can... Um, uh, you can always have power. And I usually take two light sources too, just in case I would lose one. Now in and that boots, boots, good boots, good boots. <laughs> yes. I was about to say that was my next one. I was like, what about, I wanted to know like, what's your stance on boots? Cause I know that there's some guys that they'll get the clunkiest things from a Bass Pro or Cabela's and within a half a mile, they're already blistering up bad. So talk to us about boots. Uh, I, I prefer a, a little more of an extreme boot, but I hunt more, I tend to hunt a little more extreme country. So I've been kind of bouncing between uh, the the Mendel Denali, which okay. I've worn out 
a few pairs of those. I've got a Zamberlin right now, and I just ordered the Kenetrek Mountain Extreme. Uh-huh. But every one of my boots is a um, higher-grade mountain boot that you could use sheep hunting, Yeah, that type of thing. Now, when I hunt eastern Montana, I can go a little bit lighter with a lighter hiker there, and it kind of depends on what part I'm hunting. Uh, and there's some places in Wyoming here where the elk are down low. You could get go by get by with a lightweight hiker. In most cases, I tend to go just a touch more extreme with the, the examples I said. And another thing with that, and you mentioned blisters in that first aid kit is a blister kit. Uh, I, I carry several different types of tape, mole skin, anything to patch up my feet. My feet right now are about like a Sasquatch feet. They're pretty <laughs> rough and rugged, but it seems like it never fails. I, I have a buddy come along and just like you said, you know, first day in, half day in, their feet are starting to shred apart and we have to, you know, take a half hour in the field and get them taped up, doctored up so you can keep going. There you go. Now, in this survival and first aid kit that you've got, you know, I think one of the things that people misunderstand is you got to get a little bit more than just that $15 first aid kit from an academy or Walmart. And like, do you carry tourniquets in yours? Are you carrying any kind of splints, extra um, wrapping tape? Do you have that in your kit? Uh, absolutely. And in fact, I uh, carry quick clot in my kit okay. again, because I'm by myself. So I want to make sure I can stop any bleeding. I usually don't carry splints because I, I figure I can manufacture something on the spot for a splint, but a tourniquet, uh, I typically carry two. And what I'll do is, uh, I've got a, I don't know if you're familiar with an IFAT kit an mm-hmm. individual first aid kit. So I rob stuff out of that. A lot of times I'll swap back and forth between my IFAT kit and throw it into my mountain kit. And, okay. Uh, one of the, one of those, one of those items is a tourniquet. Gotcha. Yeah. I'll say it. I've ibuprofen goes a long way too. Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. It can help and, you. And athletic tape. Uh, like you said, extra tape. I do carry a roll, a half roll. I try to have half roll of everything, half roll of electrical tape, uh, uh, quite a few wraps of duct tape and a, and a small half third roll probably of, of athletic tape that all that stuff comes in handy just to fix quick things here and there too. Yeah. So. Now, what does your camp situation look like? Are you, are you having a base camp at the truck? Are you spike camping in or are you going deep and you got camp on your back? I, I, I have done all three. The majority of my elk lately are, are being killed from a rough base camp, which is a horse trailer. I, I've got a horse trailer mm. enclosed. It's got a um, compartment up front, tack compartment, but I've created in that what I what I refer to as the studio apartment. <laughs> so then, so it's got a bed up there, memory foam, and a guy person can sleep up there. And then I have I always take an ATV or two with me, depending on if I'm meeting somebody. Mm-hmm. And that so I drive the ATV into the back of the horse trailer, and I have I'm looking out the window right now. Uh, I've got a good saddle horse and a pack mule, or. or actually my mule rides and packs hold but typically anymore it just i can get into further places with my atv and 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 move around so so then i back the atv out of the horse trailers clean it out set up a cot in there two kitchen tables 
uh, put my coolers in there on my wat my jugs of water and uh, a propane stove, propane lanterns, a propane heater, one of those Mister Buddy, the bigger Mister Buddy. Oh yeah, heaters and and a um uh and a in a cargo box for food. It's as comfortable as it can be, and I sleep in that down to about ten above. Is what you know, I because you crawl in your sleeping bag at night, I don't run heat all night, and then in the morning I just roll over, put the Mr. Buddy on, lay in my sleeping bag for 15 minutes, and then I can, you know, in the inside of that horse trailer heats up quick because it's all reflective metal. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's my base camp. That said, I also, I also have used the horses over the years to take in a small style backpack camp. Uh, I, with two animals, I ride one in and then the other one, uh, is my pack animal. So that goes in with, the uh, uh, has the, um, the camp on, in the panniers on it. And then I also bivy like, you know, and a good example is last year, I was just having a heck of a time finding elk in this unit I was hunting in Wyoming here. And, I, and that's why I like the four wheeler. Cause with a horse going way into the back country and you put in a camp, a lot of times it's like an anchor. You're almost anchored right there. And, and these modern day elk, they just are moving like a son of a gun anymore. It just seems like they just, you know, you read accounts from, I was just wrote an article and was reading some of Jack O'Connor stuff again. It's like, yeah, we got in this big basin, had a beautiful camp and elk and elk over this base and elk over that and blah, blah, blah. I just don't see that anymore. I just see elk racing through the mountains. If they're being, you know, if they have no escape to the lowlands, they're going uh, diagonal across the mountain <clears throat> and not just a mile, they're going 10 miles or whatever. Yeah. So I like to be real mobile in my camps and, uh, and that ATV and doing day hikes and then bivying to if, say, if I need to spend a couple days in a spot, I just take a bivy bag in with me, a, a, a real small lightweight camp stove, you know, backpacking mm -hmm. stove and, and whatever I think I need to get me by for one, two, three nights. So I can do a little more thorough. Uh, a survey of the area. So I do every, I, you know, I basically do everything. Yeah. That horse trailer is my main camp lately. And, uh, and it's proven well. I've, I don't know, I've killed seven, eight bulls, six, seven bulls maybe in the last uh, 10 years, basically out of the horse camp. The rest were out of other, you know, different camps, sleeping in my truck or whatever. All right, y'all, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side -side vehicles. Up next, Federal Premium. Go beyond what you ever thought possible with Federal Premium Terminal Ascent. Bonded construction penetrates deep on close targets, while the patented slipstream polymer tip initiates expansion at velocities 200 feet per second lower than comparable designs. The bullet's long, sleek profile offers an extremely high ballistic coefficient, and its AccuChannel groove technology improves accuracy and minimizes drag. And finally, we've got WorkSharp Tools, the knife sharpening company. We just wanted to thank all of our partners of the Hunt Stand Podcast, and we're going to get right back to this episode of the Hunt Stand Podcast. Yeah, I like that. No, I'm the same way. I like to stay mobile. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to nail myself down too hard to an area in case I need to get out of there. So, well, we've talked about the gear. We've talked about camping situations to an extent. And so I want to dive into kind of the, the e-scouting 
side of it, or if you're able to go get boots on the ground, um, you're, you can afford the time to get off. You can get out there and go do that. Talk to us about how you like to e-scout and even getting boots on the ground, what you're looking for. Well, I think boots on the ground is vitally important right. to back up your e-scouting. Mm-hmm. But I understand, you know, people have vacation time, limited time in the summer, or they got family stuff. It's not always possible, say a guy's hunting or guys from uh, Ohio or whatnot to come out to Montana or Idaho or New Mexico, you know, that's a pretty stout trip twice a year. If he's going out, wants to scout and wants to hunt. So I know that's not possible. What I, what I tend to begin looking at when I'm e-scouting, so I say I pull up my satellite image uh, and and a lot of times I like to do that on my desktop just so it's a bigger screen or or on a laptop. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at a little bit bigger screen. But I, I always just break it right down to the basics. What do elk need? Elk need refuge. They're always going to want refuge. Elk are going to need water. Some locales, water is everywhere. So you just throw that one out the window. But a lot of them, even in the mountains, it, it can be a little tricky for elk to find water. So, so definitely keep that in your scouting. And then a third big thing that a lot of people overlook is uh, – openings and grass elk are not deer or moose mm. elk are grazers moose and deer are browsers moose and deer can get by on real tiny patches and elk can too mm-hmm. but when especially in september well through the entire hunting season the bulls may come and go out of the herd but the herd itself is like a herd of cattle they need open grazing open spaces to graze so it may be a spot on a hillside that's 20, 30 acres big. It may be a whole mesa that's two miles by two miles, but they're going to be set up with those components nearby and especially the grazing. Okay. Okay. So, you know, when you're looking down at timber and people are thinking, boy, that looks good. It's, you know, far off dark timber, you know, nothing's going to be around, but is it too dark a timber? You know, is there anything or is there any way for these elk to eat? They're not going to eat pine needles and uh, they're not going to eat the brush like a deer would or a moose would. They need the, basically they need the grass. Now elk do do a little bit of browsing, you know, late in the uh, fall and into winter, Mm -hmm. uh, a very selective style of browsing. But for the most part, they're like a cow. They're going to want grass. You know, and that's funny you say this, that it's an overlooked aspect of elk hunting because i'm guilty of that i'm guilty of looking looking at the map seeing the dark timber and i go and dive dive in there i'm like man why are there just there's no elk here and then i've been to areas where there's a lot of good good sized meadows those micro meadows big areas and there's just elk crawling all over the place and so I, i like that you brought that up i do i do what are what are some other things that you're looking for. And I kind of want to frame this for that person that we're talking about that really can't get out there and do boots on the ground. Um, cause we know that ultimately that pays dividends, but like when you're e-scouting, you're looking for those meadows. What are some other things you're looking at when you've got it pulled up on your desktop? So in, again, in today's world of elk hunting, the elk, at least in a lot of the places I've been hunting lately, they're going to do, they're, they're either trapped where they're at, mm-hmm. 
because they have nowhere to go when the hunting pressure comes on or they're going to flee to private land as fast as their little hooves can get them to. And that is a huge change up over the last 20, 30, 100 years of elk hunting because a lot of these private ranches were hunted yet harder than they are now. A lot of them are hunted, but real casually by least, you know, through least outfitting and stuff or or these, uh, you know, multi mega mega millionaires have their buddies out. Yeah. But so the elk are either fleeing or they're trapped. You and I, for the most part, the average DIY guy, you know, that's what we're talking about. We're going to hunt the trapped elk. So the elk are going to need the grazing. But the other thing that they're going to need is seclusion. They don't want to be bumped by you and me every day. But what you're looking for are pockets in these units where the elk can't real easily leave for a private land refuge. Uh, so you want to find a, uh, you're looking for timber grazing and timber and pockets of land that are separated from any motorized access. Okay. The average American around 70 to 74% is overweight or obese. So you got to figure the hunting crowd maybe is a little less than that, but let's not, let's not slap ourselves in the back too much. So those guys and gals are not, most of them are not going to be hunting too far from their vehicle. Just like you hear, you know, whitetail hunters, they're not going 400 yards from their, you know, the trail or vehicle for the most part. Mm -hmm. And elk hunters, I would say a mile is a long way for most elk hunters to leave a parked ATV. Yeah. So you look for a big chunk of roadless area. And then the other thing I do is I throw on the topographical overlay and I look for extreme elevation uh, ups and downs because that separates the men from the boys and the girls from the women. Right. Oh yeah. So uh, if you can find two miles by three miles or whatever of roadless country, with some pretty good extreme ascents and descents in there and these components we're talking about and these elk have no option but to stay there 20 miles away is the first big chunk of private land that they could run to mm-hmm. there's a good chance there's elk, elk going to end up and stay in that area for a certain amount of time you know elk are elk aren't like whitetails so you can never say oh they're going to live in there 24 7 there's not much elk country where elk do that there are a few places but not not a lot yeah okay okay so so that that's what i look for and i really really i don't dig it but i kind of dig it <laughs> <laughs> i really look for the extreme elevation changes if i if i can put a thousand feet or more between me and the trailhead mm-hmm. i i know i'm leaving the majority of the guys behind right there and it doesn't even have to be a mile from the trailhead you know, I, I've heard guys talk about this before where they say, man, we're, we're going to get far away. We're going to go 10, 15. We're going to go far. We're going to get in deep. And they get back there and they've committed themselves pretty much, you know, that's a good two days, two to three days right there. You know, if you're, oh, yeah. you're spending a day to get in there and then you have the day to hunt to figure things out. And then it's, if there, there's no elk, then you got to spend another day getting out. And so I've heard a lot of people talk about how they're finding that sweet middle ground where they're going just far enough to where those guys like you're talking about that don't like to go past that mile seems to feel seems to be like they find the sweet spot of elk where 
they're letting the guys that are going deep kind of make this pinch point with the people that are going only a mile in and they're finding elk just kind of right there in the middle. Have you found that as being true or found any success by doing that? Oh, I absolutely believe that. And I don't know if it's because it's the units I hunt more mm-hmm. or not, but I, I, I mean, I've hunted, uh, four or five states for elk now and uh that's almost that's my plan typically that's just my plan i find a nice trailhead parking place park the park the horse trailer set up base camp i have a bivy camp ready to go in a backpack stowed in the horse trailer so if i need to go further but for the most part i just look for these pockets of country that aren't real that i can that i can hike in in the morning and be back at base camp at night. And here's another thing. And I'm and I'm an older guy. I'm an old grandpa to many people. Twenty nine years old, right? <laughs> I got I got a um, God. How old is my son? I got a twenty four year old son. So, <laughs> so I'm not quite twenty nine. But uh, now where was like oh, so I, a lot of times my plan is I get. And as an older guy, and, and this morning I was in my office, 4.30 in the morning. I'm a real early morning guy. I, mm-hmm. I try to get all my writing done in the morning. So I'm focused. I'm already setting this. Get up early. Go. So I try to get into my elk spots real early. Uh, and typically I beat everyone to the trailhead by an hour. And yeah. I and I follow that rule, whether I'm coyote hunting or deer hunting. Yeah. But I like to get ahead of everybody and get in there in the dark. And that first light, when those herds are starting to be restless and move, that's when the bugling will start. You'll hear bugling sometimes all night long if there's cow and estrus. Mm-hmm. But typically, the major bugle period is uh, when elk are moving. They're on the move, and the bulls are just saying, I'm the guy. I'm in command. Uh, they're not necessarily leading the herd. Boss cow usually does that. Yeah. Cow. But, uh, but that's when the bugling is. So I want to be there at daybreak when there's bugling. I try to incite some, bu- you know, use my uh, uh, bugle, get some bugling going so I can figure out where the elk are. And then I hunt them off and on. About midday, they they lock up, and I try to get into their bedroom if I can, or they shut up. But late in the day, if I don't have an elk going, I typically don't waste time and sit there till after dark, you know, in a remote location. A lot of times, I just bug out, hunt my way back, and then try to get back to camp right at dark eat a quick meal, get a good night's sleep, hit it again. And it's been working for me because if you try to hunt, you're out at three in the morning or up at three in the morning, leaving camp by four, four thirty, whatever, you know, whatever season you're hunting. And then you stay out, especially in September till almost nine o'clock at night. And then you got an hour or two back, you know, it's 11 o'clock. You're only getting five, six hours of sleep and you can catch up a nap in the middle of the day. But you and I know that it's hard to recharge day oh, yeah. after day after day just doing that. So I don't know. As as an older guy, just trying to hunt smart, I, I tend to hunt mornings hard. And then I slowly wind down in the afternoon. And I, I just don't stay until after dark anymore if I don't have. Because a lot of times those elk are on their feet by three or four yeah. in the afternoon. And you're they, again, they're bugling. So, uh, or hopefully they're bugling. And, and we're talking... I'm I'm talking archery here for the most part. Stay. I I just think a guy has to hunt smart, just like you said. Going these guys are going ten miles back. 
that might be a smart move. I'm not saying it's not, but if you haven't scouted it and you hired a guy to do a drop camp, you know, he's taking you back on horses and leaving you in a basin. You got no way out. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden there's no elk. That's, you know, that's a bad five days spent in the back country, not listening or seeing it, listening to a bull or seeing it. Yeah. That, that can be tough. Now, the, the next part I want to talk about that I think some people tend to take for granted, and I think you probably know what I'm about to bring up, is being in shape for the mountains. I've been, I've been on them. I don't know if you can ever really actually get in the shape for the mountains, but I've been up on the mountain before with people that, you know, they, they can get up there like a dadgum goat. They can move like an elk. And then I've been on the mountain with guys before that they make it a mile in and you're wondering whether or not you're going to have to take them to the hospital. Right. So talk, talk to us about how important it is to be in shape for those mountains and kind of maybe dive into what you do to, to prep yourself. Well, you're not going to be successful at DIY hunting if you're not in shape. Yeah. Fact, I mean, you could luck out. I'm not saying it can happen, but it's just got, for, it just seems to be, to me, it's getting harder and harder and harder. You're having to go further and further and further and more extreme to find these elk mm-hmm. and you got to be in shape. And I call it uh, mountain shape. <laughs> you got to be in mountain shape. There's a big difference between I now I this is my theory, but I'm not Cameron Haynes. So, <laughs> but I, uh, gym shape is one thing, being in gym shape, mm-hmm. but being out and scrambling through the mountains all the time, like I do. I mean, that's is is a world of difference. And and you said it right there. You meet up some people, and they they're oh, I've been working out all summer, been going for hikes and been down at the gym every day doing the stair climbing and blah, blah, blah. And bam, just like that, they're out of gas. Part of that's elevation. A day or two, they might be good. But the problem with that is by the time they're uh, acclimated to elevation, their body is starting to wear down on that third. The third and fourth day are the days I can just count on when I got a new guy in camp with me. His his gas tank's down at E. Oh, yeah. Uh, He's getting getting ready to leave. so. So I would say... Even if you can't live at elevation, work out at elevation, uh, or whatnot, try to do as much up and down stair climber or getting out into, you know, I, I, uh, deer hunt a lot in the Flint Hills of Kansas, Mm -hmm. definitely not a high elevation area, (laughs) but it's steep and there's terrain in there is steeper, steeper than I do in the mountains, you know, around my home here get out and do that instead of just going to the gym every day and, and, and watching Fox news on the video, or on the, you know, TV and sit yeah. out a, a bicycle. Going. So, uh, my routine, my routine is, uh, when I can't get to the mountains and I've kind of hit a little lull right now because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just hammering away at my office stuff to get done. Cause I try to wrap my office by mid August, yeah. all my assignments, everything. I just, I shut down. And I tell all my editors that now too. anybody don't expect to get in touch with me after August 15th. So right now it's a little harder for me. And I'm, I'm actually using my elliptical machine in the basement today. I went on a four mile hike with my wife and the dogs in the morning. You know, I did my four hours work and we went for a quick hike 
but I go to the mountains as much as possible. And so like this spring, I shed hunt like a fool. People would just be scared if they knew how much shed hunting I did. So I'm in the most extreme country several times a week, all, all uh, spring long. In the summer, I rotate between doing that and scouting a little bit in the, uh, my elliptical. I keep in the basement with some weights I lift and then shooting my bow, doing some hiking around here. And in the winter, it's kind of a like a summer routine, but I'm doing a lot of coyote hunting if I can or scouting for elk. And depending on the snow level, a lot of times we're out there on snowshoes, which is a pretty good workout. And, uh, and I live at 4,000, approximately 4,000 feet in elevation, which is not, I mean, I'm looking at the mountains out my window at, you know, 13,000. I see peaks off to the Gosh. south here, but, um, but 4,000 is better than sea level. And yes. my, my son is in the military. So he's been traveling all over. He was, he was, um, he was at West Point, which we're really proud of him, <laughs> but that was at sea level. And so his, it was amazing how his, and he's a freak in the mountains, mm-hmm. but it was amazing how his uh, endurance went down living at sea level. And now he just come back from the Middle East. He was on a deployment there for nine months and he did a 13,000 footer the other day. He's only been home a week and he said he did a 13,000 footer the other week. He's, he's based in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he said that darn near killed him. <laughs> yeah. So it takes, like I said, it takes acclimation is a big thing. If you can get out to your hunting spot at least two days ahead of the hunt to mm-hmm. kind of acclimate, I would say do that and then just work out like a freak. And if you can, you know, climb and scramble uh, mountains, hills, whatever, do that as well as in addition to whatever you can get it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, man, I love all the advice that you're giving. I think this is a lot of really good starting points for that guy or girl that's looking to go chase after these DIY elk on public land. So, or if they get the chance to do private, whatever they do, but before we part ways, what other important advice or things that you have, that every DIY hunter should know? Never give up hope. I mean, that it's so easy to get discouraged when you're in the mountains and not seeing elk or elk sign. If you've done your homework and you know they're around, cut loose and start moving from spot to spot to spot to find them. Uh, last, last fall during elk season, it took me nearly, it took me eight days to zero in on elk. I could have killed an elk on opening morning. It was rifle season. I could have elk killed an elk on opening morning. I was being just a touch picky because I knew there was a bigger bull there and he, he gave me the slip. So I ended up not shooting a small six and a five, a raghorn five, which, you know, most public land hunters, if you get a antlered bull in front of you, especially bow hunting, mm-hmm. I mean, I never would do that bow hunting. Uh, I mean, you probably should shoot it, but after that encounter, those bulls left this little mesa and I knew this area, like the back of my hand. And, uh, it took me seven more days to find those elk including several nights of bivvying and, and battling some snowstorms and stuff. But I just, I knew there was elk there because in this unit, they can't escape to a very much of a private private ranch land country there's just it's too small there yeah. they can get to so they never do 
and they always go extreme. And so I just kept going, taking it one more level extremeness, one more level extremeness, and uh, finally hooked in. So no, don't give up hope. If, if nothing else, go to the opposite side of the unit, but, you know, or sleep in one morning, recharge your batteries. That's, that's a good thing. In fact, I do that quite often again, you know, not only do I not hunt afternoons all the time, a lot of, uh, I'll, if there's bad weather coming in, I'll take a day off. If it's going to just be a downright blizzard, you know, horrible snow, pouring rain. It's like, why, why do I need to sit out there in, in that when the elk, Activity will probably be subdued. Bugling is going to be subdued. Movement subdued. Why don't I just uh, go recharge my batteries back at camp? And in my case, I live out here. I'll, I'll even go home a lot of times, spend a day, you know, a day or two at home, and and then get groceries again and head back in. And a lot of people don't have that, you know, luxury. They can't always do that. But uh, yeah. but even a, an afternoon off or a day off can be a big difference in building your confidence back up and moving to a new area. Awesome. Well, Mark, man, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast this morning to talk elk hunting. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love getting people introduced to it, and I know there's people always wanting to learn about it. So I really appreciate you coming on and bringing your knowledge to the table today. Hey, thanks for having me. I I appreciate sharing anything I can with with uh, hunters so they have more success and uh, and then they get their kids out hunting or the neighbor kid and, and it's all, it benefits all of us. So. Absolutely. Well, real quick, tell the listeners where we can find you on socials and follow you or anything like that. Uh, it's really easy. You just go to markkaiser.com and links are there for my uh, Instagram and Facebook are the two I'm on the most. Uh, so, uh, and I do put a lot of tips in there, share a lot of my videos uh, just small little videos, which is, you know, is a trend these days, but of, uh, being in the mountains and, uh, I, I love it. I'm up there all the time. I, uh, any, any day I can get away from the office. Uh, I look at saying it's a way better day to be in the mountains. So. Oh, absolutely, man. Well, appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. And we'll see you on the next one. All right. Thanks a lot. Will. There you go, everybody. We just want to thank Mark for hopping on the Hunt Stand podcast, talking DIY elk, elk hunting, going out west, backcountry, public land. It's one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite things to talk about outside of deer hunting and turkey hunting, of course. So nonetheless, we just want to thank Mark for hopping on the podcast with us. And if you want to check him out, make sure you head on over to Instagram or go to his website. It's markkaiser.com. I'll drop some links down in the description below. But again, y'all, just want to thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast. And we'll see you on the next one.